0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Hulkful Majority. I'm Manu Meal. Today, we're going to have Danny Butcher on from American Conservation Coalition. And the question of this episode, how do we bridge the issue of climate? Yes, I know many of you have asked me, as we build the hopeful majority, as we have nuanced conversations, well, where do people stand on these issues? Let's actually get into the meat and potatoes of a lot of these conversations. What does the substance look like? And so today, we're going to have a conversation with Danny, who represents a conservative environmental perspective. Yes, we're going to go into a lot of these issues as the hopeful majority continues to grow and build. Remember, every week, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content. And remember, leave a like and subscribe on YouTube, rate the episodes on Spotify and Apple. Let's get into this episode and let's dig into the climate. Man, did I just really end the introduction with let's dig into the climate? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But really, here's where this conversation's going. You know, oftentimes we can have notions of bridge building, dialogue, let's talk to each other. And yet... We often get the critique that you're not actually getting into some of these core issues. You know, we can talk all we want about kumbaya, let's hold hands. But Manu, when it gets to the substance of some of these important issues like climate change, environment, guns, criminal justice, that's where it all falls apart. That's where this consensus of actually the thesis that we need to have nuanced conversations all breaks down because some people don't operate on facts and and yada, yada, yada. You know where that argument goes. So let's get into it. I want to take you on a journey, specifically on the issue of climate, because that's a conversation that's often talked about. It's a dialogue that often happens. And here's my fundamental thesis on a lot of these questions of whether it's the climate or guns, or let's say you're a conservative, you care about free speech issues, you care about religion, community, you care about pro-life. If you're on the left, you care about pro-choice, you care about democracy, whatever your issue sets. I think that we live at this moment where we as Americans fundamentally misunderstand each other. Yes, we misunderstand each other. I don't think we live through the great divide. I think we live through the great misunderstanding. Now you're like, what kind of nuanced academic cop-out take is that? More in common, which is a prominent data and research institute came out with this study that details the perception gap. Essentially, the argument goes is that Oftentimes, when you ask a liberal person what they think of a conservative, and when you ask a conservative person what they think of a liberal, we completely underwrite and get wrong where we think people stand. You know, when you ask a liberal person what they think of a conservative on X, Y, or Z issue, they'll take and they'll assume the most extreme standpoint. And vice versa, if you ask a liberal person what they think of a conservative, they'll give what might seem to be the most extreme standpoint, when in fact I, the the data show that there's a massive perception gap that we completely misunderstand each other. And, and my thesis and my argument is that that's why I actually think we need to have these productive conversations. We need to have more contact with people that are different than themselves. We, we need to have disagreements. We need to, importantly, not just compromise and agree, because yes, that's important, but more importantly, we need to have productive and healthy disagreements so we know where people stand. So given that, I think that on the issue of climate, I also think we completely misunderstand each other. I think that if you ask a liberal person what they think of conservatives, what you'll often see in the media is that conservatives must all think that climate change is fake, that it's not caused by humans, and importantly, that They're out and sold by the oil and gas industry and don't care about the environment. On the other hand, if you ask a conservative person what do liberals think, well, they're going to say there's some Green New Deal socialist that does not care or understand how taxes work or how the economy works or how the environment works. And really, they're just, well, you know, they're just saying what they're saying so they can get votes. And so today I brought on my friend, Danny Butcher, who helps lead one of the largest, if not largest, conservative environmental movements in the country called American Conservation Coalition. And admittedly, uh, they've done a really impressive job. And Danny represents a conservative perspective on the environment. Uh, Danny and ACC are building a movement of what it means to create action on the right around climate. And what you'll find fascinating about this conversation, I think personally, is that Most conservatives that I know, that I engage with, have pretty nuanced opinions on the environment. And I want to ask Dania some of those questions because I'm curious what she thinks. And simultaneously, I want to have in the future a more liberal perspective on this issue because I also think that Liberals have a fundamentally nuanced perspective also on climate. And I think at the end of these two perspectives, when we hear Danny's perspective, when we hear our future guest perspective on the left, I think what we'll find is that the media, our politics, our outrage industrial complex. Yes, you know what I'm talking about, the outrage industrial complex, the complex that drives profit, that drives us to hate each other, that drives us to misunderstand each other, that drives division just for the sake of it, even when there is none, I think exists, especially relevant on this issue. Because I think that it's driving us to actually not solve our problems around what might be legitimate questions around the climate and instead just causes us to continue dividing. And that's, I think, the consensus that we have to challenge. And so I'm very excited for this conversation. I hope you find this productive because remember, I don't think that we live through that great divide that so many of us have given into. But I think that we live through a great misunderstanding. And that's where the hope the optimism lies, because the majority of us out there, I think, largely agree on the problems. We might disagree on solutions, but we agree on the problem. So let's not let those really loud voices outnumber and outwork the hopeful majority. Let's get into our conversation with my friend, Danny Butcher. Danny, welcome to the hopeful majority. Manu, I'm so glad to be here. You know, what's, what's funny is like, I've yet to have somebody actually say, I'm not glad to be here. Um, and so, so I, I appreciate you joining the ranks of the hopeful people. Um, you're, you're somebody that represents both an organization, as we talked about in the introduction, but also somebody that um, has really sort of trailblazed a path for a lot of young conservatives doing a lot of good work. So again, I appreciate you and thanks for, thanks for being here.
1: Well, I think you can take it sincerely when I say I'm so glad to be here, Manu. I saw your text inviting me to join the show, and I jumped at the chance. Uh, You and I have both been doing this work for a really long time. And, you know, it's a labor of love for me. I know it's a labor of love for you. So any chance we have to talk about it together is just a chance I want to take.
0: So we'll we'll get into some of, like, the specifics around, you know, uh, the notion of building a conservative environmental movement, which already I'm sure when folks hear that, it's like an oxymoron. And I know it's something where you and and, and the amazing team at ACC oftentimes walk this fine line, right, between um, uh, where the conservative parties often, uh, where the Republicans have often been and where you are on the question of climate. So we're going to get there. But before any of that, um, when when did you get started? Like how how old were you when you like, got into all of this. Like what was your I I don't think I've ever actually asked you this.
1: Yeah. Well, I actually grew up in a very, very politically involved family. Some of my like early memories are going to parades to march for candidates and hand out campaign literature or, you know, doing different campaign events with my grandpa, who was very involved in DFL politics. I grew up in Minnesota where the Democratic Party is the DFL. Sure. Um, so I grew up in a very politically aware family. We would listen to NPR on the way to school. We would talk about politics at the dinner table. Um, and as you may have guessed by the references I've made, my family leans left of center, leaned very progressive, in fact. Um, so politics news current events those were all things i was really comfortable talking about growing up and as i entered my angsty teenage years um, <laughs> i decided to you know play a little bit of devil's advocate and be a little bit of a contrarian at the dinner table and so i started you know arguing different sides to issues and i think i really expanded my own mind in doing that and i realized some of the arguments i was making i wasn't just making them to be difficult and to be that teenage contrarian but i actually Actually agreed with what I was saying and I saw a lot of the like logical flaws in the belief system that my parents held um, and so Through that questioning of the conversation we had day to day growing up, I realized I identified more as a conservative than I did as a progressive. And don't get me wrong, um, there's no ill will or anything like that towards my family. I think we have the same values. We just disagree on how to get to certain places and how to get to certain outcomes Um, And so I got involved in conservative politics around the age of 14, 15. I started an anonymous Twitter account because I was too ashamed or afraid to tell my family that actually I thought I was conservative. I thought I was Republican. I didn't want to admit that yet. Um, So I started tweeting my real opinions on things and grew a following pretty quickly. Through
0: Through an anonymous account.
1: Through an anonymous Twitter account, I just started tweeting hot takes um, and picked up quite a following. And opportunities came from that—the opportunity to intern with some conservative women's organizations mm-hmm. and some youth activism so
0: organizations. I want to I want to get to all of that, but I'm just I'm just curious, like what? So everybody that you know that's close to you is is relatively liberal. It seems you're growing up in Minnesota. What part of Minnesota, by the way?
1: Very northern central Minnesota, okay. the Brainerd Lakes area. It's like a collection of really tiny, small, yeah. small towns.
0: I asked as if I would know, but um <laughs> that okay, got it. So northern north, somewhere in northern Minnesota, the 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 three people that are from the northern part of Minnesota, shout out to your area. So you you grew up there and you've got this very like liberal family. Um, this is a question I'd actually asked. Isabel Brown as well, who I think you might know, um, she was here on, I think it was like episode five or something. And, um, she actually had a very similar upbringing as well, where not necessarily with her family, but with her college and how she felt Mm -hmm. like she wanted to be more of a contrarian. She didn't necessarily believe sort of the dominant things that they were talking about at that moment. What do you think about your like personality or you as a person sort of Gave you the the gumption to be a little bit more contrarian. Um, what do you like? What gave you that courage? Because I think I think that's tough to come by, and I think a lot of people are always curious about what it means to stand up when like the wind is blowing in one direction.
1: Yeah, well, I I would joke about this, but it's also true. My dad raised all of us kids to really question authority and to really go against the grain and think for ourselves. And it just so happened that in practice, that meant going against what he was saying uh, when I was in my age phase. So I really do credit him with raising me to believe that you don't have to just accept everything that you're told and that you do have agency and thinking for yourself and finding out what makes the most sense to you. Um, So I think that personality wise is what has made the biggest difference for me is just making sure that I'm viewing issues from all sides
0: and really thinking them through. Wow, so he he really he he created the person that now debates him on all these policy issues. So he so you 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 made this anonymous Twitter account, or I guess what's now X, I don't know whatever you want to call it. But it, it, you've now got this anonymous Twitter account. Um, did you ever? Did you just transition into your like? What? How did that work? Like, did it stay anonymous? Like, what what was that yeah. experience like? Well,
1: as I mentioned, I started getting offers to do internships and travel opportunities and this and that. And around the time the account hit probably 15,000 followers, um, I started wanting credit for my work. I started getting... Um, Well, first of all, I was more confident in expressing those beliefs. Um, I had sort of gained that confidence in doing it anonymously. I now felt comfortable putting my name on the account. Um, And so I did transition it over to a personal account, the account that it is today. Um, But it was really, I think, good for me to dip my toe in the water anonymously because I think that it's interesting to observe politics when you don't necessarily have skin in the game, like your identity attached to it. I think you see different sides of people and different sides of issues and arguments. Um, so I don't regret starting it anonymously, but I'm definitely happy with where it's at now.
0: Do you, do you think there were certain, like certain social media dynamics that you noticed in that, in that period as your account grew pretty quickly? Like, were there, were there certain things that you noticed about the environment in social media that allows you to to grow because one of the things that I found and again is like you've been you've been very encouraging and all the other friends that we have have been very encouraging like I've stayed away from the social media game for a while and now that we're jumping in I've noticed that like anger and fear and like junk food takes sell so quickly and that that dynamic is very easy to tap into what was it like when you started doing the anonymous thing
1: I think the online community and just the conservative movement in general were much more encouraging and welcoming of new voices. I think that it really was robust debate on the issues and hearing different sides. It was less, um, you know, litmus tests and fall in line and you are conservative. No, you're conservative or you're not conservative. No, you're not conservative. It it was easier to grow. People were more supportive and more interested in having discussions, not just in making points. Um so the, I definitely the purity put, tests. Yeah, the purity mm-hmm. tests. I really do miss those days of like early social media, early Twitter where um it was conversations that you were chiming in, not just like dogpiling on people and, and making examples of them for having wrong
0: think. Mm-hmm. So that was happening then and then how did you get into the mix of ACC the 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 institution that we know today that you're super um, well known for but also an organization that I think is 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 one that I found to be uh, a north star in terms of how you develop an organization at a young age but like how, how did all of that come about because you, you were you started interning you said at a couple of offices you're doing this anonymous Twitter account thing and what's the what's the jump?
1: Yeah, so I, at this point in time, had made a lot of friends in the movement, including Benji Backer, ACC's um, founder. And so ACC was founded in 2017 by Benji, myself, and a handful of other young activists at the time. And the culmination here was really, we were this group of young conservative activists, and we would talk to our peers, we would talk to people on college campuses, and we would consistently hear them say things like, I am Republican except on climate change, or I would vote Republican if their stances were better on climate change. And it was just interesting to us because each of us cared for the environment. Each of us believed in climate change and believed that we needed to be good stewards of the earth. And so it struck us how this issue was viewed in such a partisan lens and it didn't need to be. Um, And so as, you know, young activists, when you're you know, 15, 16, 17, you think you can do anything and you can, if you believe in yourself. So we started the organization and wanted to give a home to people who cared about this issue on the right of center.
0: What, what do you feel inclined you to be very passionate about the, about the environment? Like what, cause, cause again, transparently, like, as you know, you and I, um, uh, know Benji and from my experience with him, the man loves parks and all he does is post about the wild you know national park service and and all that sort of stuff and it seems like he just loves hiking and he's a person of the environment um and i can see sort of that transition for him like what what did you feel like made you someone that felt like you wanted to really touch this issue which at that time it seemed like when you were touching it was pretty difficult to touch for for Mm -hmm. conservative activists Mm -hmm.
1: well as we covered i grew up in very northern minnesota i know you haven't been but get the opportunity to go sometime, you should. And the reason is it's stunning. It is the land of 10,000 lakes. We have the most beautiful, pristine, calming waters, um, beautiful, lush forests. And I love my home. I love the area that I grew up in. I have such beautiful memories of my childhood, walking the woods with my dad or, you know, picking blackberries with my mom. I love the land that grew me into the person that I am today. And I think that most people feel that way about where they grew up. And so the love of environment for me is very easy because I love where I came from.
0: Do you think people that are not necessarily on the side of understanding that climate change is a, a, a man-made phenomenon, it seems like based on your organization's stance and how you think about it, that it's it's something that needs to be tackled. Do you think that those people don't like the environment like how do you how do you sort of think through that
1: i think that the climate and environmental movement made a huge mistake when they led with polar bears because yes everyone theoretically cares about polar bears and you know wants to see them thrive as a species But that is a problem that feels so far away and distant. Most people have not seen those habitats, have not seen those bears out doing their thing. It is an easy problem to pass off to the experts or to the people who know more about it. It's an easy problem to forget about when you're trying to put food on the table um, if we really are serious about tackling problems, we need to talk about what impacts people and what is top of mind for them. And that is their local environments. That is the national parks that they spend their summers going out to see. That is you know, what they can see and feel and touch and notice the changes season to season or year to year. Uh, we really made a massive mistake by making polar bears the face of climate change.
0: So polar bears are the face of climate change. And obviously they're... At- I assume in Antarctica or the Arctic Circle, even, I guess, I, I'm, not, I'm not, dude, I, I have no idea where the polar bears are based, but I'm curious why you think that was, that was the move. Like, why do you think they went after and and showed the polar bears instead of, I guess, what you're saying, which is focus on issues that are directly affecting the American people and what's going on in their backyard.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a moral argument to be made for saving the polar bears, conserving that species. Uh, The ice caps Mm -hmm. are melting, obviously, you know, at the time the term was global warming preferred over climate change. And so I think like that was just strong imagery and people could connect the dots in their head. But it's not just about connecting the dots, you need to connect the dots and then take the next step. And when the next step is in a different hemisphere, um, that's very difficult to do. And so I, I can see some of the logic behind why the environmental movement went in that direction, but I don't think it was the right direction to go in.
0: What is the environmental movement? Like, what, let's just let's just define a couple of terms. So one is, I'm curious about what is the environmental movement to you, especially, like, I guess when you all started. I know now, now it's much more expensive, especially given your work, but what is the environmental movement? And then the next question I want to ask, but you should probably focus on this one first, is just, like, my head is going to, if I'm somebody in the audience, I'm, like, I'm just curious about, like, what if I don't think that climate change is that pressing of an issue? Like, why are you focused on climate out of all the other things? But that will leave for a second what is the environmental movement?
1: Yeah. So when I touch on the environmental movement, what I'm generally referring to is um, the movement that has prioritized the environment and I would say they've prioritized preservation of the environment over conservation of the environment. And what I mean by that is conservationists believe that we have these resources and we should be free to use those resources so long as we do so responsibly and in a way that is sustainable. Um, it's basically the idea that humans and the environment can thrive together and that they should thrive together. They are inherently a part of one another. Um, the the preservationist approach would generally lean toward don't touch it, leave it the way it is, um, and what we see with that is oftentimes on the extreme end, you tend to have Um, a prioritization of the environment over people. And I think that is what has turned off a lot of people to mainstream environmentalism is this belief that the environment matters more than human prosperity. Um, And that's part of why ACC exists is to show that you can have these things going hand in hand. You can have a beautiful, thriving, healthy environment. You can also have a prosperous, productive people. And those two things do not have to come into conflict conflict with one another.
0: So I, I hear you, but I don't believe climate change. I don't believe, you know, that um, that humans are impacting our climate in an adverse way. I, I Maybe I question the link between CO2 and the earth warming. I'm sure you get this question a lot, especially from um, uh, sort of the base of folks that you're working with oftentimes. What do you say?
1: Yeah, I mean, I hear that, I personally disagree with that, but I think the interesting thing about climate change, is that it touches so many other issues that maybe climate's not on your list of issues that you care about. But you may care about having affordable, abundant, clean energy. You may care about sustainable agriculture. You may care about job creation. You may care about permitting reform where we get government out of the way and we build more projects. There are so many different things that the climate issue touches there's still an incentive to do good policy around these things regardless of the climate question
0: so do you even try to then do the persuasion game or do you feel like there's enough voters on the republican side that are willing to think through climate as an issue and then it's really a question about just getting them on board with some of the policies you're thinking through
1: Well, I I will say I do think that outright climate denial is an increasingly fringe position, and that's not where most Americans are at. I mean, even young Republicans, you have a majority of them who believe that climate change is a concern. So that's very encouraging to see. I would say our priority is, and this is part of why I like the work that you do so much, is that bridging of, okay, we can come at this from different perspectives, but if we agree on a solution, let's pursue that solution together. Now, our stance is, you know, we're not going to curtail our position and pretend that we don't care about climate change or that we don't believe in climate change, but if you don't and you still want to get permitting reform done, let's do it.
0: So I want I, I want to go back to this, like, environmental movement question because one of the things that I've learned from your organization is that you know, some of the most conservative presidents in American history actually made the biggest advances on the environment, like Teddy Roosevelt. I don't even know if he was a conservative. I guess he was a progressive. I don't even know, but definitely Richard Nixon with the EPA. Right. Um, But like, and I'm just so curious about why that split happened. Like, why is it that a lot of these things started off with conservative presidents and now seems to be sort of controlled on, on the liberal side, but, But again, before that, like, what do you say to a Republican voter that's like, you're just like wasting time with this issue? Because somebody that's listening to this conversation right now, let's say, and has not interacted with as many Republican voters, based on the media and what we see, I think their assumption is that most conservatives don't necessarily care about the climate.
1: Well, I— I don't know i think there's a lot of media manipulation there i think you and your audience understand more than most that we agree on a lot more than we disagree on um and so i would take that with a grain of salt do republicans have a lot of ground to make up on the environment absolutely that is the work that we're doing um but the policy is there a lot of times the action is there the messaging is not there that's where we really have to do a lot more work is the messaging and being comfortable talking about these issues, I think from a conservative perspective, the environmental movement, to wrap it around to your first part here, um, has largely been seen as a left wing movement when you think of a typical climate act. I think the image that most conservatives come up with in their head is someone who is standing in the street, blocking traffic, making people late for work. It's someone who's throwing soup at Priceless I was about to
0: ask you, have you seen the videos recently on on Twitter? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I think that type of activism is just not helpful anymore. Um, And I I often get the pushback of like, oh, well, they're raising awareness. Um, My response to that is... People know about climate change. You're not really raising awareness about the issue. You're actually just turning people off from the solutions because they see that activism and they think to themselves, these are not serious people.
0: So that's so interesting. So you're saying that to some of the the more uh, left-leaning audience that actually a lot of conservatives are on the same page with climate Um, And yet there seems to be a disconnect between the quote unquote advocacy groups and those conservative or those, those sort of liberal progressive climate activists that are out there raising awareness. But what you're saying is that you might not actually need to focus on that piece because it seems like most folks are actually on the same page according to data. Is that is that right?
1: Yeah. And in my experience, it's becoming less and less relevant. I will say, I think young, young Republicans, young conservatives, they are there on this issue. They get it. You don't have to convince them of anything. Um, and do you do think really, folks like Turning Point are there? I, I think you have seen Turning Point embrace a lot of more pro-environmental messaging. They have come out with a lot more, um, like, conservative merge. Like, it's, they're moving in the right direction on this. I think they need to get their footing on how to talk about it, but that goes back to the messaging thing. Um, But the point I want to make here is in my experience and in my colleagues' experience, when we go to more mature conservatives or older conservative audiences and we start talking about this issue, what we have found more often than not is that when you start talking about the solutions to climate change that you believe in, they are more willing to admit that they think climate change is a problem and that it's something we can tackle. But when they assume you're leading with like the Green New Deal or the Greta Thunberg climate activism brand, that turns them off. They're less likely to admit that there is a problem when they don't like the perceived solutions. And so that's one of the reasons I think leading with solutions is so important, because if we can agree on those things, then we're wasting time on the the question itself.
0: What do you think about the impact of of Greta on the environmental movement?
1: I think Greta is a great activist. Um, I think that she has inspired a lot of people. Um, I would like to see more of a bridging effort from her. I think that, you know, you've built this enormous platform. You can't deny the, um, like, authenticity of that platform and the power that that platform has, I'd like to see her use it to bring people together and actually push for those uh, solutions rather than the pointing of fingers and the how dare you um, type of rhetoric. I don't think that that's as productive.
0: I I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I just have to get your opinion on this because I think a lot of people... I would say maybe in the Joe Rogan world. I don't know what what world that is ideologically, but it's a world. Um, would say that you know there's like a lot of conspiracies about Greta being a plant, or her being a ploy for like political power. And I think a lot of conservatives, at least I've seen, and at least folks that are critical of the mainstream sort of liberal consensus have critiques like that of people like Greta. Do you think folks like her are authentically pushing something like this, or do you think that she's a plant?
1: I don't think that she's a plant. I think that she is convicted. And I think that she believes this is a real problem that needs to be tackled urgently. And it is a real problem that needs to be tackled urgently. But I I do think that she may be caught up in um, some scare tactics that, people believe will push action that actually stall action. I think that there's a lot of undermining of her own cause. And look, it's easy to do when you work in politics, when you work in advocacy. Um, It's easy to get caught up in bubbles where people always just agree with you and think that what you're doing is, is great. I would really encourage her to hear other perspectives and to consider those other perspectives because I don't think she is reaching the crowd that needs to be reached if we are going to make progress on climate
0: so if you're if you're listening to this you can't tell but i'm like smiling and and so if you're like watching this then then you can tell that i'm having a hard time holding a straight face and primarily it's because i think what's so funny about this is we're talking about a real issue that potentially poses a real threat to humanity and yet you and i are spending time discussing with that gret as a plant and and i think it gets to like just the core problem you know of, <laughs> of the world that we live in. And frankly, like, I'm not going to lie, part of the reason I asked you that question is because I know people are curious about that question. And, and it wasn't even something that I'd set up, Danny. but like, it's just, what is your biggest frustration with the discourse on climate? Because I imagine this is probably one of them that we're, we're spending like five minutes talking about Greta being a plant and have yet to talk about like, any of the actual policies that you think we should push for?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is one of the big frustrations, right? Is that I think particularly the mainstream environmental climate movement spends so much time talking about how urgent this problem is, that the earth is going to have its demise in 10, 15 years. All of that may be true. Whatever. You can look at the science and decipher that for yourself. The fact of the matter is, if we are going to do something about it, we need to reach people who are not on board yet. Preaching to the choir on this issue gets us nowhere. I don't know why we spend so much time doing that rather than getting out of our comfort zones and going to talk to people who aren't convinced, who could be convinced, um, until we reach that critical mass where we we really can do something about this issue. Um, I think the doomerism, the alarmism, it just has to stop if we're going to be serious about this.
0: I guess one piece of that alarmism is probably if you actually do believe that the world is going to end in 10, 15, 20 years, then I wouldn't blame you, I guess, for being alarmist. What would you uh, tell those folks that, that are, and especially in our generation, I mean, a lot of young people are genuinely convinced that, um, and, and I don't know enough of the, I honestly don't know. And this is part of the frustrating thing. It's like a lay person on this issue. I still can't freaking figure out who, <laughs> What is actually going on? But putting that aside, like what is your response to a young person that's sitting here and saying like, no, the world is actually going to explode in 10, 20, 30 years. So we, that is the only route we have.
1: I mean, I fundamentally disagree with that take. I think that you're leading with defeat when you view the problem that way. Um, And when you're leading with defeat, you're writing your own prophecy. If you genuinely think that this is going to happen, then squabbling about it for another two years isn't going to solve the problem. Like we need to view this with a more hopeful lens. We need to believe in our ability to come together and find solutions and innovate and solve problems. Um, I think one of the saddest pieces of climate discourse that I have seen is this conversation around people being unwilling to have children, people who've always wanted to have families, people who have always wanted to be parents, being unwilling to have children because they don't want to bring them into a world that is facing climate change. Um, you know, from my perspective, there's no greater motivation than fixing this problem for the next generation. And so if you remove that next generation, what incentive, what motivation, what reason do we have to solve this problem? We have to live our lives showing that we do believe we can solve this problem, not just admitting defeat because it seems too big and too scary, too out there.
0: So what I'm hearing is that fear, generating fear is not the strategy on this question. and you also bring up this notion that there is this there's this trend now happening, at least it seems like on the left, um where people are saying, "Hey, let's have less kids." A lot of people are saying, "Don't eat, you know, any meat. You know, there there's a lot of lifestyle changes that seem to be pushed that I think to the average person, like, at at minimum, they're like, no. And at maximum, I think they're saying, actually, f you to the climate movement. I'm actually on the other side. And mm-hmm. so, I was talking to this guy named Alex Epstein. Have you heard of Alex? I have, yes. So yeah, so he sent me a lot of his books. So I've I've got like seven copies of one book, and and it's it's uh, essentially the title is like we got to burn more coal, burn more gas, burn basically burn, just burn everything. It'll be great. So question I have on this is he says that that the current climate movement is a fundamentally anti-human framework that it's 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 anti-human, and that actually to critique it, you got to focus on the fact that it is anti-human. It actually seems like you kind of are getting at that point, too. Is that, is that the case, that you think the climate movement's stepping a little bit too much into what might seem like dangerous territory?
1: I mean, I wouldn't say I agree with everything that Alex says, but I I do think there's something to the fact that the climate movement does tend to be anti-human and believe that the fixes to climate change are things that are anti-human rather than us living in harmony with the planet. I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, this conservation versus preservation mindset, the idea being humans and the environment can thrive together. We can, you know, rely on one another. If we conserve the planet, the planet conserves us um, versus this preservationist ideal of don't touch it. It's better without us. It's okay if we have to suffer because at least the planet is okay.
0: Hmm. And I mean, Alex, frankly, he makes a pretty compelling case uh, in the opposite direction. I think where he probably parts ways with you is, is that I think he also critiques the fundamental precepts of climate science. And it seems like he, his take is that it's anti-human and also that um, it's unnecessary alarm. I think he would probably critique you in that standpoint, although I don't know what he would say Um, on the specifics. What do you think about the critique that, okay, you know, Danny, I I appreciate you all uh, both believing climate and that conservatives need to have a strong position on climate, but that your steps and takes of, of, just conserving, don't go far enough, that that's sort of just band-aid or that you're just helping, you know, Republicans win more votes off the climate base. Like what's your take in response to the people that think that you don't go far enough?
1: I, I guess my take would be more of a follow-up question, far enough in what regard. Um, I think ACC's approach and my approach are inherently um, incremental, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's how you do policy, and I think that's how you achieve tangible and sustainable policy that won't be repealed administration to administration or Congress to Congress. Um there is not a silver bullet, quick fix to climate change. There is not some plan that we can implement overnight that will reduce our emissions to net zero and save the world. Um, I'm sorry if anyone listening was hoping that that's the case, but it's just not. There are several. Well, why not?
0: Because... I, I, not to get too specific, but I'm just like I'm just curious because that, that that discourse is like. Everybody is like, we can just get to net, we can get to net zero. Why, why can't we get to net zero? It seems like um, the Republicans are stalling. And again, I'm, I'm talking from that standpoint, because I think that's what people listening are curious about. Like, everybody's just saying that, you know, they're just stalling just for votes or for because they're in the pockets of the oil and gas industry. Like, why why do you think we actually can't just implement the Green New Deal or get to net zero?
1: I mean, it's just not practical. That's just not how things work. Take end fossil fuels, for example. That makes a great catchphrase, and they get a lot of media around just stop oil and things like that. Um, but think about what actually happens if tomorrow we just stop oil. Do you know how many products just in the background of your Zoom screen are made with oil just and gas is, <laughs>
0: Yeah. Is, is, yeah.
1: I mean, our, our standard of living would just dramatically, catastrophically change overnight. Um, and just because you turn off fossil fuels doesn't mean that that demand for energy goes away. So even if we were to do that here in the United States, the demand for that energy still exists. We would just begin importing from other countries that do it worse and dirtier and have far lower labor standards than we do.
0: So tell me, tell me if I'm missing something, but I think if I understand this correctly, where you probably disagree or differ from maybe sort of your more left-leaning critics is that one, it seems like you don't agree with them on the claim that the climate emergencies in a 10-year, 15-year window, that like the world's gonna explode. That seems to be one of the core assumptions that, that you're navigated by. And the second one being that it's not, it's just not a practical possibility to achieve some of those large scale sweeping net zero initiatives. Are those like sort of the two key assumptions? At least that's what I'm hearing that would that you would say are differ from, you know, let's say Greta.
1: I mean, largely, I would agree with that. I I personally don't think there's harm in setting out a goal for net zero. But I think what that means is we have to look at global emissions because climate change doesn't care about the borders of the United States versus the borders of Ukraine or Canada or any other country. Um, And so if we're going to talk about reducing our emissions here in the United States, we need to ensure that whatever policies we enact don't increase emissions in other parts of the world. Um, And I think that that is a piece of this conversation that a lot of people seem to be missing. Um, It goes back to that earlier point i was making the demand for energy doesn't just go away because we want to end fossil
0: fuels but those people just don't they're they're just not willing to sacrifice their personal interest for the sake of the human race i can just like i could hear i could already hear it and this discourse seems to like honestly go Go nowhere. Let's go a little bit more to the ACC angle of it. So, American Conservation Coalition. Do you all like have like a, a platform or or just a certain set of policies where you think you know these are some policies that people can get behind that are practical, tangible, but substantive?
1: We do. We have um, what we refer to as a climate framework um, called the climate commitment. And the idea behind it is what I was talking about earlier. There is no one size fits all solution to climate change. But through the climate commitment, we have identified six big ideas that we can tackle to seriously reduce our emissions and make a difference. Um, on climate change. So I really encourage all of your listeners to go check it out. Um, You can find it online just at theclimatecommitment.com. There's a quiz you can take to find out where you should kickstart your role in the movement. The six policy ideas really outline the different steps that we can be taking. Um, And it's just
0: a really great resource. And I know we don't have too much time to go into detail, but I'm just curious, like what, just very broadly, what are those six uh, areas?
1: Yeah. So the first would be unlock. Then we have conserve, streamline. Um, it's sort of like the one word format, and then followed by different things we can do that fall into these buckets.
0: Gotcha. Do you all think that nuclear is a is a key component of of the solution?
1: Yeah. Because I know we, that that's
0: a, that's a big debate in in the environmental movement between both scientists yeah. and activists.
1: We're big fans of nuclear at ACC. Um, we like to say that we played a little bit of a role in the nuclear discourse that you see today. We think it's a seriously good way to reduce emissions. It's our largest source of carbon-free energy. Um, and so we need to be seriously pursuing it if we want to hit any of those net zero targets.
0: But when people think of of nuclear, they often think, I think of Three Mile Island, they think of Fukushima, they think of <laughs> Oppenheimer. Um, and I'm <laughs> sure like none of those three things are actually connected to each other, but they have the word nuclear in them um so like what's your response to somebody that that thinks of nuclear and then immediately thinks disaster
1: those examples make great TV. If you want to scare your grandma and piss off your grandpa, those are great things to to talk about. Follow the Fox News model. Um, But I I think it's really overplayed um, the dangers of nuclear. When you look statistically across the entire energy sector, the nuclear industry is responsible for the fewest number of deaths in the energy industry, including wind and solar. Um, So I would really encourage people to look at the specific critiques of nuclear energy because there's so much more to it than the Netflix special um, outlining how scary these incidents are. Of course, they are tragedies and should be regarded as such, but they are the exception, not the rule.
0: Do you think that right now liberal media has a, a profit incentive to just like, this is what I see is, frankly, just just again, from a layperson standpoint, is first of all, I have a very hard time figuring out which scientists or who to listen to to get like real information on this issue. So that's one challenge I, I just have as somebody that's observing this issue. And the second one is it seems like the liberal media only cares about generating awareness. Um, To your point, there almost seems to be this like weird, like disaster porn element to all of this, which is odd. And then on the other hand, um, like, you know, it's cool to hear you talk about it, but Fox News, I've like yet to hear a, I mean, I've seen your segments on it and I've seen Benji's segments on it, but I've yet to see them really thinking about this as an issue. Um, Do you think that those incentives are going to change? Like, it, it seems like nobody's actually interested in solving the damn problem.
1: I think they are changing. I think we saw at the GOP primary debate just a few days ago, the first and only audience question came from a young conservative asking about climate change. That debate was hosted by Fox News. Clearly, they see some reason to feature climate change so prominently in a debate. Um, What do you think that reason is? I think they see the writing is on the wall. This is an issue that young people, regardless of party, really, really care about. And it's no longer acceptable for Republicans to just not have an answer.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously we're we're having this conversation with the big assumption again and not getting too much into the science of, of climate. Um, and it seems like to your point that, according to a lot of polling, that most people think that it's an anthropogenic action. Um, and we're also not getting too much on the policy because I know that's very difficult to get into, but I do want to touch on, on sort of this last big section that my mind always goes to, which is, all right, I'm listening to this conversation. I hear that there's conservative young people that are caring about the climate. I hear that there's a lot of liberal people also trying to make action on it and that not everybody exists on these two extremes, but do you have like actual people in power interested in, in this stuff? Is there, is there institutional pickup or, Do you feel like in some ways that you're sort of like toiling away? And I'm sure yep. in some days it does feel like you're toiling away. I feel like I'm toiling away. But by- Well,
1: look, when you work in advocacy, there's always, always, always more work to do. And I'm sure you know that challenge just as well as I do. But I'm really encouraged by what we've seen recently. I just mentioned Fox News featuring climate at the debate. We also worked with the uh, Republican National Committee to host the official after party of the GOP debate. And they've been very supportive of our work to bring conservatives forward on climate. We also have a big list of congressional allies who are doing Um, great policy work on this and sort of picking and choosing their areas of expertise to really spearhead. Um, I I think that conservatives don't always necessarily get the credit that they deserve on the work that has been done policy-wise. Completely concede that there's still so much to do on the messaging side and on leading with climate change. Um, But I do encourage listeners to look into what different Republicans
0: have done on these issues. You know, I can already see myself like I'm already doing this in conversation. I'm pushing you from the left, saying you guys are y'all aren't doing enough, and then you're being like, you know, but we have actually done a lot, and let's let's prod on the victory so that we can show there's momentum. And then I can hear people on the right pushing you, saying this is just a bunch of hokey pokey nonsense. Like, you know, why are you even doing any of this? Like, focus your energy and all the millions of dollars you're sucking away from the primaries into something else. Um, Do you ever just get exhausted (laughs) by? Like, is that dynamic the case? It seems like that seems to be the case every time I I think about the position that you're in. Or do you feel like the dam's breaking in a positive way?
1: I think politics is exhausting. I get exhausted by that back and forth. This work, I think, is really energizing and really encouraging. Um, when we started back in 2017, President Trump had called climate change a Chinese hoax.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, candidate Trump at the time, nope. President, I don't remember. President, 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 um, yeah. president Trump, yeah. And um, we couldn't get any meetings. Nobody wanted to talk to us. We were these young conservative activists talking about climate change. That was not a mainstream position. Um, we got a lot of scoffs, a lot of emails that didn't get answered. Um, and you've really seen in the years between then and now that that has changed and that we are taken very seriously and that we are in a lot of the rooms where big decisions are happening. And it, it's really encouraging looking back at where we started to where we are now. So I, I don't get exhausted by that
0: aspect now. So I would I would ask um this next question a different way if I think you were coming at this from a different ideological angle, but what would you say to what do you want Republicans to do more on climate? Like what what do you think what do you think should be happening that isn't currently happening?
1: Well, first of all, I think they need to talk about their records on environmental issues because they oftentimes do have promising Um, records that they can use to show that they care about this. And that's number one. Number one, they need to show that they care about this issue because they do care about this issue and they are terrible at talking about it. Uh, But talk isn't enough, right? It's not enough to just talk about it. Talking is the first step. I want to see more serious policy proposals. I want to see more working across the aisle to actually get things done on climate change. Um, And I want to see them really you know take climate and run with it and be the party that can champion this issue in a way that it hasn't been championed before
0: on days that that are a little bit more sucky what what brings you down uh, on this issue like wh- where wh- what what are you like where you're like uh you know i don't know if this is going to work out what what sort of are the causes for for what i would say is 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 measured pessimism Mm-hmm. Just that we can be wary of those,
1: so what what stresses me out i I think is yeah what what, starts, you're getting
0: yeah, at. what causes you measured pessimism
1: um I think that it can be discouraging working in politics and advocacy because everyone has um I don't want to say a different agenda because that sounds more um nefarious than I think I mean, but everyone has different priorities. And just making sure that you're not getting distracted by other people's priorities and that you're able to stay true to the work that you've set out, I think is really important. Um, And so when I feel those other priorities creeping in on me, I think that's sort of when I tend to get in my head and like overthinking, second guessing. Um, But that's also a blessing because it gives me an opportunity to sort of reframe and recenter myself on the work that we're doing and why it matters so much. Um, I really am fueled by what I mentioned earlier, that love of where I came from and then the love I have for other people. My team is the absolute greatest team. Our activists are incredible, inspiring people, and our partners and stakeholders are all incredibly passionate. Um, So I'm really lucky to get to do what I do um, for a cause that I care about with people that I also care about.
0: I'm listening to you right now and, you know, you're in your mid-20s, the um, organization was founded, what would you say, 2016, 2017? Yes. And I'm somebody listening to this. I'm like, how did how did you achieve, like, forget, forget like, the actual, you know, um, m- whether or not material success is on the the question of climate, but, like, you've done a lot, you know, and it's, it's something really cool to see just as a young person. Uh, what do you think has been the secret to, Not even secret, but like, what do you think has has gotten you all this far? Well,
1: we hold ourselves to very high standards. Um, We bring in people who wholeheartedly believe in what we're doing and who want to go above and beyond. We have a really high achieving, excellent team that just understands hard work and just understands the nature of working for a startup organization. Um, this is definitely not like a, some cushy clock in at nine, leave at five type of job. Um, and I think our, our it works because our team understands that you have to be passionate, you have to care to um, do well at ACC. And, and I think that shows.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking of time, it's currently 2022 20, I think, or maybe five twenty two, uh, where where you are. Um, and so it, I really don't take your your time for granted. Just. I've got two last questions and one just came to mind when you talked about, you know, working hard and working with so many ambitious, high achieving young people. What's your advice to, you know, somebody that's listening to this that's either in college or in high school and they're thinking about what they want to do? You know, what's your what's your advice to them about how to approach life or how to approach this couple of years?
1: Mm -hmm. I would say regardless of what it is that you want to do, if you want to work in advocacy, finance, medical field, whatever field it is, be willing to do the hard work and earn your reputation. I think a lot of young people go into their careers thinking that they're going to build a name for themselves and build a professional career and just sort of be a face. But if you want to be successful, so much more than a face. You have to actually put in the hours and do the grunt work and cut your teeth. And it, um, if you are really passionate about what you're doing, it won't feel like the hard work.
0: Yeah. I, I feel you on that. You know, I think, and again, it's, it's so cool to see, uh, where ACC has come and where it's going to go. And I think to your point, like it, there's there's a lot more to work to be done, and I and I wish that this discourse elevates more. And I think, frankly, like the reason why this podcast Andy, is called the Hopeful Majority is because I think that there are a majority of people that largely agree on a lot of problems, maybe not on solutions, but a lot of problems, and and I think are tired of you know just dumb questions like is Greta a plant or like you know just you know just stuff that gets gets Twitter going. And honestly, people should follow. Your Twitter account, because I think you've got some like really interesting takes that are just so random that have nothing to do with actual politics. You're just like, you idiots, you yeah. dummies. <laughs> <laughs> um last question. I asked this to everybody: celebrities, politicians, random people, people like you that have done a lot early in your life. Uh, we're gonna have presidential candidates coming on. Um and 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 I think big part of the reason for this question is is to be hopeful you have to have a really good purpose or, or a sense of like why. Um, And so what would you say is, is your why, you know, what keeps you going?
1: Yeah. My, my why is very people focused. Um, I care about people very deeply and I want to see them do well. And so that's twofold. In the context of ACC's mission, that means having a healthy, thriving environment that people can prosper in. And then in the context of our team itself, it means really empowering our team to do their jobs and to do their work well and to be fulfilled in that. And so um, my why is very people-focused and making sure that those around me and the communities I love and I'm a part of um, can
0: continue to thrive. That's awesome. Well, Danny, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for coming on the Hopeful Majority. Thank you for talking about the the what many might think is an oxymoron conservative environmental movement and yet also uh, just being very forthright with with where you think this work is headed. So, thank you for your time.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, that was a wrap on a great conversation. I think, Danny, thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot of nuance, and that's the key nuance. Not all conservatives think the same on all issues and not all liberals think the same on all issues. There's a lot of complexity here and yet the outrage industrial complex, the media, the politicians, our leaders, we just, for some reason, we can't break past it. And I think that's essential. So thank you so much for your time. Remember, if you're on YouTube, like and subscribe. If you're on Spotify and Apple and you're listening to this, rate the podcast. These are very important conversations. We need to build this together because remember, all of us are part of the hopeful majority. I'll see you next week.